Good evening, church. Another Wednesday night. Uh, glad that you're watching. I hope that you're getting something from our Bible studies. Uh, tonight, I wanted us to look at how do you treat others? Question mark. How do you treat others? We're going to look at some of the things Jesus said in the New Testament. And then to illustrate how we're to treat others, I'm going to go to the Old Testament story that I've picked out for this. We're going to begin uh, with Jesus' statements in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. He's been addressing different things that they've been taught and then correcting their teaching uh, to not just the letter of the law, but what the intent was. And really in Matthew 5, beginning with verse 38, he has these words to say. You have heard it that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and uh, from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. He continues, You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good those to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That was some of Jesus' commands for us on how to treat other folks. Specifically, how to treat those who may not like us or we may not like, who mistreat us. And then we find a story, I think, that sort of illustrates this in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 24, we, we see uh, David is running from Saul. And it appears as we read this uh, chapter that God has granted David's kingship to him and in the form that he's given Saul into his hand. We find this recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. That means up high. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road, and there was a cave. And Saul went in it to attend to his needs. That's a nice way of saying that he had to go to the restroom. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David rose and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he cut off Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing that he is anointed of the Lord. So David restrained 
his servants with these words. It did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterward, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, and David seeks you, Indeed, David seeks you harm? Look this day. Your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, yes, see. See the corner of your robe in my hand? For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. No, and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. Uh, but my hand shall not be against you. As a proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore let the Lord judge between you and me, and see, and plead my case, and deliver me out of your hand. And so it was when David finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt with me, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. For now I know indeed that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear to me now by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Let's pray. Father, teach us uh, from your word uh, what you'd have us to know today. Uh, Father, our relationship with others is often the most difficult part of our day. Some folks are disagreeable. Some folks don't treat us correctly, uh, different things. Help us to treat them as you would have them treated so that, Lord, uh, they might come to know you as Savior. These things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We, we come to this section of Scripture, and I wanted to ask that question, how do we treat others? All right? And basically the answer is this. God expects our best actions in all circumstances. God expects our best actions in all circumstances. Now I'll admit that often that I fall way, way short of that. Uh, but that does not excuse me. God still expects it and I have to repent and I have to try harder. But two or three things that I think God expects uh, very quickly. First of all, he expects us to do the right thing. Do the right thing. Uh, you see, David's in, in Getty. Uh, 
and he's in a he's in a cave. He and his men are hiding in the back. Maybe they saw Saul coming, his army, uh, three thousand choice men from a long way away, and they're back in the back of this cave. And Saul start, stops there uh, and sees a cave, and he goes in to relieve himself, use the restroom, and and you either took off your outer cloak or you hitched it up where you wouldn't get it dirty, and and. David is so stealthy that he sneaks up behind Saul or gets his cloak and he takes that razor sharp knife and he cuts the corner off of it and retreats. And then he gets to feeling bad because look what he's done. He's, he's done that to his master, to the king that was anointed as Israel. And, and even though he's been anointed king, Saul is still the king. And God expects him to do the right thing. It doesn't matter that Saul had sought his life, that Saul had mistreated him, that continually Saul harasses he and his men, that Saul seeks to bring him dishonor, he wants him dead. God expected him and he expects us to do the right thing. And therefore the men behind him are urging him, stand up, let's kill him, we have him. God has delivered him to you today. And David said, I'm not going to do that. That's not what God would have me to do. See, it doesn't matter what the other person does. My mama used to tell me, you're expected to do right. In other words, we're responsible for our own response to situations. She told that to me repeatedly because uh, with my temper, somebody would do something and I would retaliate. And uh, unfortunately, uh, one of my grandchildren, I won't mention any names, has the same habit that, that if they're picked on, they're going to retaliate. And so that particular one is learning not to do that as surely as I have had tried to learn not to do that. And over the years, doing the right thing is a hard thing. Was it easy for David after being harassed and being tired and having to run for his life constantly, was it easy for him to let his enemy, the one who had mistreated him, the one who wants his life, the one who, if the situation were reversed and he knew that David was in the cave, would have trapped him and killed him? Was it right to have to let him go? Yes, it was. Because Jesus said to love your enemies. And God expected him uh, to depend on God, not on what he could do. Could he have taken Saul's life? Yes, but Saul was the anointed of God and he wasn't dead yet. And David would have the kingdom that was already promised. And when Saul uh, says, you're more righteous than I am, now I know that you'll be king is what he says. It's just a confirmation of what God had told David. But God didn't tell David to kill Saul. God's going to take care of the situation. Sometimes we want to get even. Sometimes things are so unfair, they're so wrong, especially as it pertains to our family and how they're treated, that, that we just get overworked. And God specifically said in the book of Romans, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And we need to understand that God expects us to do the right thing. And in certain situations, the right thing is simply to turn it over to God to let the anger go, to let the revenge go, as hard as that is, and let God handle it. Romans, 8, Romans also tells us that when we treat our neighbors right, it's like heaping coals of fire upon their head. That's not the reason you do it. You do it because it's the right thing. And we need to understand that this verse 6 was one of the keys of this chapter. And David said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointment anointed to stretch out my hand against him seeing he is the anointed of the Lord 
And we need to understand that. This applies in a lot of ways. Now, I'm going to say some things that are going to be very unpopular. Uh, several people are still running around saying the sky is falling, that the election was stolen, and et cetera, et cetera. And some have taken it as far as what we saw on TV to invade the Capitol grounds and to make mockery of our system. I want to tell you something. That was wrong. You may not think it's true. You may not think it's real. It happened. It was wrong. We need to understand that with a new president and vice president coming in, whether we like it or not, we're called on to do the right thing. The right thing is to pray. The right thing is to wait on God. The right thing is to wait till he instructs us what to do, and then he will handle it. Now, that is not popular. Uh, that is not uh, politically correct in some circles, etc., etc. But even in this situation that we find ourselves in, rather than cause more division, it's time to be the salt and light of the earth. It's time to be those who love our enemies. It's time to treat them well, no matter how they treat us. Not because we're anything special, but because Jesus is special. Because he shed his precious blood for me and for you and for them. And we need to realize that. It's time to come back to a point in our country where we can disagree disagreeably. Where I can talk civilly to them and they can talk civilly to me. And we know we're at odds, but we still have enough respect for one another to say, well, we'll just agree to disagree. And we leave it at that. All the protests, all the violence, all these things, things are getting way past the point. Uh, I read an interesting article. Uh, it might have been by Richard Land. I can't remember. It's one of those guys that, that's a, a pretty good theologian. And he reminded me of some things that I already knew, that there's a day of reckoning coming for Christianity because we embrace, embrace things that we shouldn't have embraced. There's a day of reckoning coming because we put up with things politically that we shouldn't have put up with. And I'm not just talking about the left. I'm talking about on the right also. I loved our president, Donald Trump. You may hate him. That's your business, not mine. But I will say this. Donald Trump is not the Savior of America. Jesus Christ is. And if you're one of those that just thought that he was the Savior of something... God just showed you and me, I include myself in that, that he's not. God, whatever he's planning, whatever he's doing, is still able to do whatever needs to be done. He can bring revival if he chooses to graciously bring it. He can bring destruction because we deserve it. But we need to understand it's in God's hands and we need to trust God. We need to do the right thing because we are called Christians. That means little Christ and the way an old time preacher told me, it seems, Gary, that means we're little Jesuses. Are we acting like Jesus in the midst of this situation? Are we acting like Jesus in the midst of this pandemic? Okay? Uh, are we treating others as we would want to be treated? Are we praying for them? Are we wearing our mask? Are we taking precautions? Not because we're worried about it, not because we think it's some problem, but for the benefit of other folks. Oh, those are not popular things. I'm not going to watch you anymore, Brother Gary. Well, I hope you will. But I want you to know I love you. And I love our country. I love our system of government. It's in trouble. It's not perfect because we're imperfect people. 
But I love Jesus more than any of those. And we all have to. One way or another. We need to understand that. That is a sermon for another time. But God does expect, just as David did the right thing, when his enemy seemed to be delivered into his hand, he knew this was the Lord's anointed. God had not told him. When he said he got to thinking about it, don't you think that was the Holy Spirit causing him to think about really taking Saul's life? And the Holy Spirit needs to work in our hearts to bring forgiveness. The Holy Spirit needs to work in our hearts to bring uh, some mellowness. The Holy Spirit needs to bring some calmness to all Christians across our land. And we need to treat others with that same respect and watch. Proverbs says it this way, A soft answer turns away wrath. Let's go on. The second thing is this. We're not just to do the right thing. We're to say the right thing. You see, what we say should match up with what we do. Now, David has been telling Saul, why are you after me? I'm a flea. I'm a dead dog. Uh, uh, you know, I could have had you, but, but uh, I, I know that God's going to deliver me out of your hand. And so it was in verse 16 when David finished speaking these words to Saul. Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He was overcome with emotion. Probably realizing he could have died in there. Probably realizing that he had been wrong and David had been right. Then he said to David, You're more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dwelt with me, dealt with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done today. And I know indeed that you should surely be king in the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Now when I say not just do the right thing, say the right thing. What we say should match up with what we do. Uh, Saul was guilty of not doing that. He would say one thing and in just a little bit he'd change his mind and do something else. He was... Uh, he bounced from here to there. He was not steady. He was not dependable. Our words should match up. Our walk should match our talk is the way we'd say it. Our walk should match our talk. And we do the right thing and we say the right thing because that's the right thing. There is a right and there is a wrong according to God's standard. And we, God's children, not those who aren't God's children, we are responsible for doing the right thing. They're going to be judged at a certain point for not doing the right thing. That's not my business. That's not my job. That's God's job. And don't you worry. He'll take care of it in the end. We need to understand that. But do we say it? You see, Saul wants to kill David. And then he wants to let him go. And, and another time, David, David goes down and takes his spear while they're all sleeping in camp. He could have run the spear right through him, but he didn't, and he hauled at him from over the hill repeatedly. Saul tries to kill David, and David doesn't try to retaliate. He says the right thing, and he does the right thing. He says, I'm not going to harm you, because you know that's God's business. God's going to take care of that. Do we understand that in our own lives? The hardest point for me has always been if somebody says something against me, I can, I can handle that. It may hurt my feelings. It may even make me mad sometimes. But I'll get over it. 
When I start holding grudges is when they say that about my children or grandchildren, my wife, people I love, my friends that are truly those that I care for, um, then I have a problem. Then my anger gets the best of me and I tend to overreact, trying to protect them. And what I've had to learn over the years, I can't protect them the way God can protect them. And God has to constantly remind me of that. And there's some hard lessons that, that I and other parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, want to spare those we love. But sometimes God takes them through that, those hard lessons, so that they will learn that He is the one who's in control. So he is the one that is their shield and their shelter. He is the one they can come to when nobody else can help. He can help. He is the God of the impossible. He is God Almighty. He is the God who sees, El Roy. He is the God who helps. He is Lord God Almighty, El Shaddai. And that should show up in what I say and what I do. Because it should be for what is right. It should be the same with all of us who call on the name of Christ as our Savior. So we need to do the right thing. We need to say the right thing. And the last thing is this. We need to respond in the right way. Okay? Respond in the right way. I have to believe God and treat others with caution. Believe God and treat others with caution. Do we understand that? Do we understand that uh, responding in the right, right way uh, often diffuses situations? Responding in the right way uh, often takes care of things. Uh, I have to really watch myself when I'm texting because if I get upset, oftentimes I've misunderstood what somebody else texts me, so I don't like texting. You don't get any facial expressions the same way with calling on the phone when you can't see the other person. And, and I take it the wrong way, and then I'll dash something off that you can't take back. Uh, we need to guard that and treat others with caution and with respect. Do we understand that? That applies to all of social media. If you're on Facebook, please be careful what you put on there. Please be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying don't stand for what's right, but do it in a loving way. The Apostle Paul said, speak the truth in love. Now, I'm going to give you my translation of that, okay? If you can't speak it in love, truly loving the other person as you love yourself, shut your mouth. That's what I have to do. That's what we have to do. My mother said it in a lot better way. If you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. Did your mama say that? If not, she should have. Uh, and then I hear people try to get around that by saying, well, you know it's the truth. That has nothing to do with it. Paul said, speak the truth in love. And he's had some things. And Jesus said some things that were very true. And uh, yet he stood for the truth. Yet he treated others as sinners with compassion. The woman taken in adultery. Compassion. The woman at the well. The shady lady from Sychar, if you want to. He treated with compassion. We'll see him dealing that way with the tax collectors. Zacchaeus with compassion. Zacchaeus, you come down for today I have to go to your house. Even called a tax collector who was the lowest of the low, according to the Jews, as one of his apostles, Matthew. He treated them the way they were supposed to be treated. He responded in the right way. Treat others with caution. Do we understand that? Do we treat others with caution? When I say with caution, I mean it's sort of like treating them with kid gloves. It's sort of like walking on eggshells. 
that's not my forte. But as a pastor, it should be because kindness is one of the gifts of, of the fruit of the Spirit. All right? And we need to understand that. And we need compassion and kindness in our country today. So the last thing, a couple of lessons for us, okay? If you're going to do the right thing, say the right thing, and respond the right way, we have to make the decision beforehand to do the right thing. Before the opportunity arises. See, there are certain convictions that we hold that are our core beliefs. Okay? One of our core beliefs is that Jesus is the Savior. One of our core beliefs is that Jesus is the only way to be saved. Uh, those things do not change. They are not up for negotiation. They are not to be watered down. But in situations, I have to make the decision that I'm going to do the right thing. But that decision is made before the opportunity to do the wrong thing arises. It's when I'm tired, when I'm not dependent upon the Holy Spirit, when I haven't read enough of my Bible, that things tend to get out of hand. But see, if we make that decision beforehand, before the situation arises, that in these situations, I'm going to do the right thing. You see David doing the right thing until he flips up because he wasn't where he was supposed to be doing what he was supposed to be. But see, we need to make those decisions beforehand. He wasn't going to harm the Lord's anointed. He had already made that decision. God was going to take care of that. And ultimately, Saul died at the hands of the Philistines. And then David fought for a little while and gained the kingdom just as God promised. Second lesson. Those whom God has anointed, though imperfect, are to be shown proper respect. They're anointed. That does not mean they're perfect. They're anointed. God chose them for this position. God put them in this authority. Uh, this is from God. Therefore, they're to be respected. They might be imperfect. I may disagree with them, but they're to be respected. All through growing up, I had many different kinds of bosses. Good bosses, bad bosses, evil bosses, holy bosses. But that did not change the fact that they were my bosses. And unless they wanted me to do something immoral or against the Bible, I was respect them enough to obey and do what they asked to do. The same thing applies to those who are over us, all right? We need to realize that they may be imperfect, but they need to be shown proper respect. Paul says it this way. He says, pray for those who are over you. He wants prayers to be lifted up for all men, uh, for the king, the president, the governors, the senate, the representatives, the, the others. He goes on and lists the authorities and right down to our very county in our very cities those who have been elected to authority we need to pray for wisdom we pray that the holy spirit keeps evil away from them we need to pray for them so that our country will change we need to pray for the lost we need to pray for one another we need to pray for ourselves that we live out our christian values to impact our community for christ they look at us and they want to see what they see in jesus they look at us and they want to see what jesus says being done in our lives that, that is hard. Some people think that is harsh, but that is truth. And I tend to be harsher on Christians than non-Christians. 
I expect non-Christians the way that act the way they do because they don't know Jesus. They don't have a new nature. They don't have the Holy Spirit residing in them. I expect Christians to act differently because we know Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit residing in us. We have resurrection power to live a different way. We know Jesus so we can treat one another the way we're supposed to treat one another. We can treat others the way Jesus would treat them. And so again, as we close, how are we treating others? Are we acting like God expects His children to act? I don't know how it was in your household. Mom and Dad expected us to act a certain way. And when we went out in public, there was a definite expected way. And if you violated that, you paid the price. There was some kind of discipline. Uh, it wasn't always a spanking. Sometimes it was a grounding. Sometimes it was taking away your favorite thing. Sometimes it was no phone. Sometimes it was you can't see your friends. Sometimes it was extra chores. But there was something to happen. But they expected us to act. My mama used to say when I'd leave the door, Gary, remember whose you are. Remember what your last name is. Don't dishonor it. I'm ashamed to say sometimes I did dishonor it. And then she'd say, I'm so disappointed. Because somehow God always answered her prayer. Her prayer was, if I did something wrong, it would come to light and she would find out. And no matter how much I tried to hide it, God always made it known. Maybe we should pray that for one another. I don't know. But let's treat one another, love one another the way Jesus said we would love one another as he loved us. But let's extend that love not just to our circle of friends or our church. Let's extend that love to the boundaries of where God has planted us at work, socially, at school, in our communities, so that people will say, they're really different, but different in a good way. I believe they know Jesus. Wouldn't it be wonderful if they, like the Sanhedrin, when they examined Peter and, Paul, or Peter and John, they took notice and noted that they had been with Jesus. What a testimony. Have a good evening. Read these scriptures again and see if it speaks to you. Thanks for your attention. We love y'all. If y'all need us, call us. See you next time.